0: Good morning First Alliance Church welcome to our service today we're glad that you've tuned in my name is Pastor Tim and what we're gonna do today is I'm gonna read this passage of Scripture that we're studying I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna slowly work our way through this passage to see what God's Word says and what it's calling us to so if you have a Bible with you feel free to open up to Luke chapter 12 verses 49 to 59 and just keep that open in front of you whether on your phone or in your lap And what we're going to do is we're going to keep going back and referencing the Bible as we read through and see what God's Word is saying. So let me begin in Luke chapter 12, verses 49. I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am under until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family, divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, Immediately you say, it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled on the way or your adversary may drag you off to the judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you in prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. The word of the Lord. When I first started to read this text, I was like, wow, this is intense. This is very, kind of sounds kind of harsh. I don't really understand the flow of what's going on. And Selfishly, I was thinking, how on earth do I preach about this and communicate to other people? Yet, That's what I love about even our series in Luke. I don't get to pick the text, but we get to wrestle through what scripture says and just hear from God's word itself and let that word shape who we are. And today, as I started to read through the text, especially Luke chapter 12, the whole chapter in itself, I think only once I understood the context and who specifically Jesus was speaking to, did I start to make sense of the text today. And just something interesting to note. My wife and I got married almost eight years ago, and during our wedding speech, like many wedding speeches, sometimes we're talking to the groomsmen, sometimes we talk to uh, the host staff who are there, our family, our friends will turn to our parents, sometimes we'll turn back to the big group. And in order to understand what's going on, you need to know who we're talking to. But the thing about a wedding speech is, it's a speech for all people to hear. And even today, when Jesus is speaking at different points to different people, he's speaking so that everyone can hear all these words and digest them in luke chapter 12 he begins with this uh, in chapter in verse 1 he starts off speaking to his disciples and then later on he turns to address the crowds then he by answering a question then he actually turns back to the disciples again and after telling a parable peter asks jesus is this for us or for the crowds because peter's curious too and jesus actually doesn't even answer his question directly, but he actually continues to speak to his closest disciples, his followers, like Christian leaders of the day. And then at the end of the passage, end of the chapter, Jesus turns back and speaks to the crowds. And that continues into chapter 13. For today's text, the thing to remember would be, in chapter 12, the first section, verses 49 to 53, Jesus is speaking to his closest followers. And the last section, 54 to 59, Jesus is speaking to the crowds. So the first section, to his closest followers, then back to the crowds. There's this interesting part last week that we studied that's really important. Not last week, two weeks ago, Paul Karsgaard took us through this text. And this section, Jesus is talking to his disciples and the whole series is about, the whole section is about kingdom readiness. We need to be ready to serve his kingdom by orienting our life around his kingdom. And those words that Jesus speaks continue on into the first section of today. So let's begin that as we read verse 49. I have come to bring fire on this earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. Yeah, Jesus starts off with a bang. These are some intense words. Uh, Fire has so many different meanings throughout the Old and New Testament. Fire can be a reference to the presence of God. Think of the burning bush. Sometimes it can refer to purification, sometimes judgment. Even in the book of Luke, fire refers to the Holy Spirit. So what's the fire in this verse here? I actually think as we explore this whole section, 49 to 53, what this fire is a reference to will become clearer as the context becomes clearer to us. So let's carry on to the next verse and come back to that passage. In verse 50, it reads... But I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am under until it is completed. I love the way the ESV puts this. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. You can see the agony and the angst in Jesus as he thinks about what is coming forth in his life. Don't forget, we've already seen Jesus baptized in Luke chapter 3. And so what type of baptism is he talking about here? He's not talking about getting rebaptized. He's talking about some sort of metaphoric baptism in the future. And what that is, is real simple. And there's two things to note here. Jesus links the act of baptism to suffering. And he foreshadows his upcoming death and suffering on the cross. Baptism to the church has always been connected to the suffering of Christ on the cross. Listen to Paul's words in Romans chapter 6. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Baptism is this beautiful word picture of the suffering and glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see his death and resurrection. We see... Uh, dying to self and sin and being raised a new person. Yet, the the beautiful image that is the cross that is seen through baptism is set through the lens of Jesus suffering on the cross. It's funny. Normally, we... uh, Let's actually take a look at the next three verses. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, Mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. What Jesus is trying to communicate to his close followers here is a warning, a kind of heads up. Just as Jesus in verse 50 has to suffer, we see that his close followers may have to also experience the same sort of follow, suffering as they follow Jesus. It's funny, we had Easter last week and that was a great time to celebrate together as a community. And at Easter we often talk about Jesus as our peace. Yet in today's text it's kind of the opposite. Jesus is saying, I don't come to bring peace, but come, I come to bring division. And so what's that all about? In one sense, the ministry of Jesus is a ministry of division. Yet that division is not Jesus's fault. It's the fault of unrepentant hearts. Uh, British uh, preacher, J.C. Rao once put it, let us never be moved by those who charge the gospel with being the cause of strife and divisions upon earth. It is not the gospel which is to blame, but the corrupt heart of man. So long as some men and women will not repent and believe and some will there must needs be division the reality is truth divides christ's cause call will cause division as followers of Jesus that doesn't mean we set ourselves sep- up in opposition to those who aren't christian but it's more of a fact that as we kind of pledge our allegiance and follow Jesus as we are called And we see in Luke chapter 11 and 12, we will face opposition and obstacles from others around us. My grandfather was born into a Hindu family, yet he became a follower of Jesus when he was in his late teens, early 20s. And when he began to follow Jesus, his family absolutely opposed his new faith and new way of life. Yet the response in that moment is not one of fighting back. Yet, what the call of the gospel to him in that moment was to stand strong in the face of opposition, responding via the power of Jesus through grace, gentleness, and the love of God. The context of these few verses is that division is that of the division that arises between those who follow Christ and those who do not. As we look back on that reference of fire, In verse 49, it speaks to a fire of purification and judgment, a fire that separates out one party from another. In verses 49 to 53 are words of preparation from Jesus. And he's basically saying, Be prepared for the gospel to create division in your life. Don't seek it out, but be ready for it when it comes. If you were just diagnosed with cancer and the doctor told you you had, the years ahead would be easy, they would be doing you a disservice. Yet if they gave you a realistic picture of the journey ahead with its ups and its downs and its risks, they would be helping you. They would be serving you. And this is what Jesus is doing to prepare his disciples. He's giving them a realistic picture of what it means to follow him. That's good discipleship and that's great teaching. So, after speaking specifically to his disciples, Jesus turns to the crowds. Let's read verse 54 to 56. He said to the crowd, When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, It's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, It's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Wow, once again, Jesus' words are strong and intense. To an agrarian society, knowing cloud patterns and wind directions is common sense. Kind of like today, if you're driving your car and you hear it, dunk, 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 pull over or go to your mechanic right away. We know that, and we know you need to get that car fixed right away. And just like when someone asks you a question in today's society, what do we do? We don't seek help from elder people. We just Google the answer because that seems like the common sense thing to do. <laughs> to the readers of the time, they would have known that west cloud would have come off the Mediterranean, gathered water, and produced rain for a land that was kind of dry. Those west clouds would have saved <laughs> the crop for the season. Those, the southern winds, what were those? They came off the Najib in the south to the southeast, and that's a desert. And that was those winds would come and actually raise the temperature, even to the point of being able to scorch and destroy crops. These people know that the west winds from the west keep them alive, yet winds from the south can destroy their life. And yet Jesus calls them out for being hypocrites, for not being able to interpret this present time. So what does he mean when he says hypocrites? Alistair Brown in Northern Seminary, Seminary puts it this way. Hypocrites, Jesus calls them, because a hypocrite is someone who knows what's right, but lives in denial of it. The truth about Jesus was plain before their eyes. They knew, they understood, but they refused to accept it. So what is this plain truth? It's great that we've been studying Luke. The plain truth is all throughout the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus begins his ministry in the synagogue by picking up the scroll of Isaiah and reading, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. When John the Baptist and his disciples were wondering who this Jesus was, John dispatches two of his disciples to go and ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come the Messiah or should we expect someone else? I love Jesus's answer. He doesn't really answer directly. He just says, Hey, look at what's going on. Go back and report to John what you have heard, seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, The dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. The answer is really clear. Look, the blind are able to see, the sick are healed, the dead are raised. Those who couldn't hear now can. And the good news is being proclaimed to those who need good news. And soon Jesus acknowledges too that he will be raised from the dead himself. Jesus is challenging those who flat out deny who he is to look at the facts and make a choice. The evidence is there. Jesus is exactly the one the scriptures have said and prophesied to over 700 years before. Yet then Jesus reads them this little parable to close off our passage today. Verse 57 reads, Why don't you judge for yourself what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled on the way, or your adversary may drag you off to the judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you in prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. If you and your neighbor had a feud, and you had done some wrong to them, what should you do? Should you leave it to a court to settle the matter? You don't know how they'll judge on the matter. The wise thing to do, the prudent thing to do, would be to settle up immediately and privately before you get to court. he Wright puts it, he is saying of Jesus, Jesus is saying to those outside his closest circle, you don't know what the future holds. You don't know how that judgment will go down. You don't know what will happen to you after that time. So be reconciled before it even gets to that point. Be reconciled with the God of the universe who sent his Son to the earth. Look at the signs, look at what Christ has been doing, and make your choice to follow him or not. In verses 54 to 56, Jesus is calling all people to weigh up whether he is the Messiah. In verse 57 to 59, he's urging them to make that choice to follow him before it's too late. To First Alliance Church, I just want to say thank you. Many of you have known of my father's diagnosis with leukemia just over two weeks ago. We rushed him to the hospital and he had acquired some tests and they wanted to start chemo right away. And for us, that was a no-brainer. Without any sort of treatment, he only had several months to live. But with chemo, he has a fighting chance. And that's what we pray. And thank you for your prayers and your encouragement and support for our family during this time. Yet, when we talked about starting chemo, it was a no-brainer decision start right away. Why? Because time is of the essence, and it's important for us to begin and figure this out as soon as we can. Jesus is calling people to look at the evidence of who he is and make a response, and not to push that response off until later. And the good news of the gospel is that invitation into discipleship, into knowing him more, is open for all of us. He invites and calls us to weigh up the evidence of his life, and decide whether to begin to journey with him. This is the good news of the gospel. It's an invitation to all people to explore the claims of Christ and make a choice. So where do we go from here? What is our application? What is the gospel calling us to? Let's begin in that first section where Jesus is speaking to his closest disciples. Verse 50. Are we willing to participate in his sufferings? I think one of the first questions that comes to me, that's really hard too. Do we see suffering as normative in the Christian faith? Do we teach that although the gospel is full of joy and hope, it's a hope that is birthed through the suffering of Christ on the cross? Or do we avoid this topic altogether? Verses 51 to 53 talk about division. Are we preparing others in how to deal with division? Do we avoid teachings about the suffering of when we teach others about Christ? Do we find these teachings hard ourselves? Do we avoid these teachings when we teach our kids or our youth or those in our small group about who Jesus is and what it means to follow him? Do we prepare others in what to expect as followers of Christ in the way that Christ did, with its ups and its downs? And also, are we equipping those around us in knowing how to graciously respond in love and kindness when division arises from our allegiance to Jesus. In the second section, interpreting the times, verses 54 to 56. Jesus is calling all people to weigh up whether he is the Messiah. It's simple as that. Are we interpreting these present times correctly? And by that, I mean, are we looking at who Jesus says he is and taking those claims seriously? I also want to encourage you, if you have been asking these questions, to continue to ask them. Reach out to those in our community and seek to better understand this invitation that Jesus is giving and what it means for your life. And finally, in verses 57 to 59, are we putting off this decision? I've heard friends of mine who don't follow Jesus say, we can't really know, or how can we know for sure? And that's easy to say, but I invite you in this season to press into Jesus. Read the book of Luke, explore who he is, ask him to reveal himself to you. Don't put off exploring and asking and digging into who he is and what that means for your life. I just encourage you this week to reread this text Ask the questions you've been asking and discuss this with your small group or others in your family. Asking God to continue to reveal more of himself to you. Let me close this in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your gift to us. Thank you for your suffering on the cross that has given us true hope in you. Father, when those times come, for us to partake in what you have partaken in, give us the strength to do so. Father, when division arises because of our allegiance to you, let us respond in grace and gentleness and kindness and through the love of Christ to others. Father, for those of us who are wondering who you are, let us weigh up the evidence, show us yourself, show us who you are, and let us turn to you. And let us not put off this decision, but let us cry, out to you, Father, and may you show yourself to us and reveal who you are. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you for the opportunity and the privilege even to gather this week together in the midst of COVID-19. And may your grace for us be rich. May you show us yourself all the more and help us to understand who you are, what this text is saying, and what you are calling us to as individuals and as a community. For the praise and glory of your name. Amen.